The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What are the most successful change leaders of today doing that makes them stand out? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is this week's host. Yay! Hi, Mike. Hi, Kirsten. Hi, honey. So here we are, pulling up for our third show of The Coaching Sugars, um, and we're feeling really full of the wisdom and contributions of our listeners this week. So as Mike said, we have been learning out loud about how to do this show, certainly not always perfectly, and figuring out how we can try to put together a show that really lets us dive deeply into your coaching and leadership questions. And for this week's show, we got some amazing letters, so many that we actually couldn't use them all. Yes. So we're Mike McGinley and Kirsten Olson, and we're honored to be here as guests, guest hosts mm-hmm. of Inside Transformational Leadership's weekly podcast <laughs> with a special three-part series of The Coaching Sugars, real compassionate coaching advice served up straight for three weeks straight. Yeah, and just once again, because this is so important to us, a shout-out to the Georgetown Institute for Transformational Leadership's mission and podcast, which is to create a worldwide community of leaders and coaches committed to enlightened and compassionate leadership. And that's what it's about for Mike and me, and really at the heart of our creating this show and um, trying to see if we can make it work. So we love the podcast and we want to just suggest to you that you make the podcast a part of your personal wisdom tradition and listening life. Yes. And we also wanted to give a quick nod to the inspiration for our program, which is Dear Sugar, an advice podcast on NPR. Check it out if you haven't already. It's awesome. Yeah. They're really incredible. And just like them, At this show here, we are trying to offer responses to coaching dilemmas and leadership dilemmas that's not at all about just giving the right answers with a lot of certainty and authority, but offering truthful, compassionate, heartful thoughts based on our own coaching and leadership lives. Yeah, so here we go into week number three. And just remember that we're relying on you, our amazing community, to tell Mm -hmm. us about your coaching and leadership dilemmas that tug at your heart and soul. So keep those coming. Let us know what you think about the show and what we're doing here. And send us your own letters at thecoachingsugars at gmail.com. So let's get started. Uh, Today's theme is, are you avoiding the hard conversation? And we have two pretty amazing (laughs) letters. We really do. 
Yeah, so I'm going to read the first one, and I just have to say before I start that this first letter from willing to let go just went straight to my heart, and I felt it so much. And I'm just going to say a tiny bit just in, in preface to it, which was I personally was raised by a very tough, hypercritical chemical engineering father who believed that the right way to prepare his daughters for life was to be really, really tough on us and sometimes very harsh. And this letter, I think, really names a universal feeling of struggle that um, I'd say pretty much all of us have in some form or another, especially in very high-performance-oriented cultures. So here we go with the letter. Dear Coaching Sugars, I am writing you this note aware that what I am about to share may not be aligned with what you have in mind for a show about hard conversations. However, for me, it does feel like a hard conversation, one I need to have with myself and perhaps with my clients in that it is the obstacle that is keeping me from showing up as the coach I envision myself being. A bit of background. I've always had performance anxiety, even as a kid. My family dynamics fueled my anxiety, albeit unintentionally. I have always needed to be thought of as someone people go to with respect, someone who is smart, wise, and intuitive. I've worked hard at letting go and managing this self-image better over time, but it seems to be embodied in my soul. I know that as a coach, it's my responsibility to approach my clients, all of whom who are leaders, with curiosity and wonder, with not knowing, with what Buddhists describe as beginner's mind. Before each coaching session, I center myself with this framework and encourage myself to stay in curiosity and intuitive mode, co-creating with my clients whatever it is that comes up for them in the moment. The problem occurs as the conversations go deeper, and I find that the urge to know, that urge to be recognized as the one who knows, seeps into my consciousness. I am aware of it and use breathing and other meditative techniques to offset it and to recenter myself into coaching mode. The problem is it is a recurring situation that is affecting my confidence in my coaching ability. So here's my question to you, Coaching Sugars. What is the conversation I need to have to stay present as a coach and not let my demons of old take over? I ask for your help, not only for myself, but also perhaps mainly for the benefit of my clients. Thank you for your wisdom and compassion. Gratefully, willing to let go. Mm. Aren't we fortunate? Mm. Yeah, what a beautiful letter. Um, I I love that Willing stepped into this week's theme. Um, you know, the mm. theme of hard conversations that maybe we're avoiding um, by inviting herself into an exploration of that most difficult of all conversations, the one about self. Mm. Yeah. And um, yeah, reading this beautiful letter immediately carried me to the to Buddha's imagery of the elephant and the rider. 
Yeah, the, you know, the, it's such a great metaphor for helping us understand the vagaries of the mind. Um, yeah, the elephant being kind of our instinctive um, actions, and the rider being a metaphor for our rational mind. And I think mm. we you know, we humans tend to think that you know, being on top of the rider holding the or the elephant holding the reins, I've got control of where this thing goes. And I think that gets at the heart of it. And as I think about the mind and what can be frustrating about trying to herd elephants. Um, this other notion came to me. There's a there's a great little book called Untethered Soul, written by Michael Singer, and in it he he talks. His representation of the mind is um, really impactful and a little bit humorous. And it's something like this. It's he's like you know, we've all given the mind an impossible, thankless task. We've basically said to the mind. Go about and secure for me everything that I covet in the world and also protect me from everything, all the threats and dangers in the world, right? It's impossible. And so the mind is 24-7 trying to do, you know, complete these tasks for us. Um, and it's, of course, absurd when we, when we frame it that way. Mm. Um, yeah, and we, uh. we become so frustrated when what yeah. we know rationally just doesn't manifest in the ways we would like. And that's where, that's where um, yeah. willing, willing to let go's letter took me. And you think yeah. about this, Kirsten, we're beholden to so many forces, right? The, the whole notion of yeah. unconscious biases or mental models, master assessments, we call them sometimes, all these things that are helping steer the elephant where it will go. And we think yeah. we've got control of it and we really don't. Um, we can influence yeah. for sure, but we don't have full control. And that's where this took me. And I think she mm. has done a great job highlighting some of those unconscious biases or, or master assessments for herself. Yeah. And that's a powerful part of this work. That's where this work yeah. starts is what's the conversation that I've given my mind, right? If yeah. it, So what's the version of go get me everything I covet and keep me from everything that I fear? What does that conversation look like? What could we yeah. replace that with? Beautiful. Oh, I love that. I love that, and I think that you know that's that is exactly that that visual image of our our poor little overworked minds riding our massive subconsciouses is exactly right. And I too felt like what an incredibly brave and courageous letter, kind of stepping in and already having the hard conversation with. Willing is having the hard conversation with willing themselves about um, what is up for them. And I really also hear this tremendous desire to be better for their clients. Willing really, really wants to show up as the coach that willing knows willing can be, just as you said. So, so just in addition to what you said about the elephant and the rider, I was reminded too of, I once was at a long uh, writer's workshop and we would come every day um, describing sort of what our fundamental issues were with the piece of writing that we were doing or the artistic thing that we were trying to do. And we felt ultimately that it all boiled down to these two essential questions, which is really what we were wrestling with was, am I enough? Mm -hmm. And is this all there is? And I just, I just want to sort of, first of all, this name, as you have the universality of this and that your inner teacher, your inner wisdom is really leading you 
to the next place. And so, so the next place that I went with this letter was um, Willing describes that this desire to be the knower really comes up for Willing when they are going deeper with a client. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, there's a strong centering practice, and there's breathing, and it sounds like a lot of intentionality. But as the space gets deeper and deeper, this desire to be the knower and to be the authority emerges. And so I really put the question to Willing about what is that about? What are, what are you willing feeling at that moment? Because I think that is really central to working creatively and constructively with this dilemma. And I really observe that often this wish to be the knower comes up when we ourselves feel lost or overwhelmed. And that we are, many of us, coming out of expert cultures where the capacity to know and name is really what's valued. And in coaching, and I think in leadership too, this moment of moving into not knowing is actually where the realms of possibility begin to open. There's this kind of whoosh of opening. So I think that's a kind of point of exploration for willing, because willing is willing. (laughs) And... And also to kind of turn this back when Willing notices that this desire is emerging and it's inhibiting performance is to just pause and recenter and turn it back to the client and say, what do you think is happening right now? Or what are you feeling as you are saying this? Mm. Or how does this relate to your larger goal to really recenter and seek the wisdom of the client around what is in the moment. So that, that, that's really beautiful, Kirsten. And I, as I listen to you, it, it strikes me that that's, that's also a virtuous cycle, right? So there's a centering that happens beautiful. for yeah. a coach as willing. Um, and there's yeah. a modeling that happens for client in that action yeah, that client. you just described. I love that. Now, I got to take us back because you stopped time a few minutes ago with your with your two brilliant questions. Am I enough? And is (laughs) is this all there is? And you kind of like skated right past them as if like, yeah, we all got that. Well, I for one, I for one need to need need to go back to that place. And I'm hoping maybe our listeners do as well. In the the simple question, simple, profound, unanswerable question: Am I enough? In this yeah. context that Willing tees up for us, yeah. it's, it's a struggle between what used to be enough, right? Being seen mm. as, you know, we get conditioned as having the right answers, doing our own mm. work, getting good grades. I'm the smart one. Right. And so knowing right. um, paid off in big ways. And, and so to kind of connect this to the mind metaphor that we're um, running with, um, the mind is like, well, wait a minute. You told me to get you all those things that you desire and covet. I'm still doing that for you. What's the problem here? Right. And now mm-hmm. in a coaching context, knowing doesn't seem to be sufficient, right? The letter yeah. writer willing knows that there is a more powerful version of me here for sake of my yeah. client and being the yeah. one who knows things is leaving some, some of that value on the table. And so I'm not enough when I'm in that place. And I think that's yeah. a really tough, um, that's really tough for us to reconcile rationally. Yeah. We get it really yes. quickly. 
But right. um, in our bones, I think it takes a while for us to really get that. Yeah, and I, I, I love that. I mean, that's exactly this kind of magical maybe moment of conception, which is also a moment of real discomfort, which is we have to rest in that place of profound not-sureness and just be with that. Because I really do believe that that is the powerful generative place around really complex leadership dilemmas and also around really complex coaching situations is we have to drop down into the discomfort of not knowing and see what emerges. In some sense, feel the elephant underneath us. And that, just as you say, I think is a practice. Like we don't get, we don't know how to do that just by saying it. We have to practice it. It's like mindfulness over and over again. What does that feel like somatically to drop into that? Um, How do I know that this is a moment to pause and drop in and just notice what's happening here? And make sure that I'm in touch with what's going on with the client at that moment too. Okay, I love this thread, and we're going to take a break in the next 30 seconds or so here. Let's come back after the break and dive deeper into those two questions you just raised, Kirsten. How do I know when to mm-hmm. exert this practice, and what does that practice actually look like? I think, mm-hmm. um, I think that'll be worth kicking around. Um, I know I'm going to learn something just being in that conversation. <laughs> All right. See you soon. All right. So we're back in a couple of minutes. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer four cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, the Certificate in Health Coaching, and the Certificate in Facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education and leadership courses for experienced leadership coaches and leaders at all levels. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. listening to Inside Transformational Leadership. 
produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host. Okay, so welcome back after our break. Um, You're with the Coaching Sugars, Mike and Kirsten, as we attempt to ride an elephant through (laughs) a a deep dive into coaching. And um, where we left off was in a place with willing to let go, being able to notice when willing was feeling the desire to be the knower. And that really being the critical place to possibly to turn attention as willing works more to become the, works in this rich territory of realizing their full selves as, as a coach. And so what Mike and I were talking about over the break is what are the, what, what do we notice in ourselves when, um, when we may be feeling lost in a coaching session and unsure, and I think there's sometimes a sense of um, we're, we're really just not sure of the directionality of um, the, where our client may be going. And at that moment, I think it's really powerful if you either intellectually or somatically notice that just to say to the client, hey, I'm not really sure where we are. Can we check in here? Is that as a place? But also, if we then feel a desire to trace the route ourselves or to make meaning, I think that's a powerful noticing is, do you feel this a desire in your unsureness to move to to be the knower, and what does that really feel like for you, willing? That would be something I think that would be a powerful noticing practice for you, and then for me too. I think something that is very refocusing is noticing the effect when we try to create too much meaning. How the effect that has on our client, the ways in which it really shuts down the realms in which we potentially can travel over. So uh, what I'm thinking of myself is I have watched this happen many times in um, listening to final recorded assessments um, for coaches at Georgetown is the client and coach are in something beautiful and um, expansive. And it feels like the coach may suddenly switch into being knower and begin to circumscribe the territory. And it's literally like watching the plains of Montana narrowed into an alleyway. (laughs) And you can feel how that dramatically changes the affect of the session and also often the affect of the client themselves. So to me, willing being able to notice what the effect knowing has on willing's clients is also a way to begin to work with this, to heighten their own sensitivity to what's going on for them. 
Yeah, I really love that. I I especially love the metaphor, the imagery of the of the big sky in Montana. That's that's yeah. a playground when when we're being curious yeah. uh, and open as as coaches in the dance with leaders. And yeah. yeah, what's what's possible does shrink down from that place into a narrow little yeah. alleyway. I love that. And you know, Kirsten, as I listen to you, what it, it's all it's it's. Perfect, right? What are the internal cues that tell me I'm not in the place that I want to be? And I think what makes this especially difficult for us as coaches is I'm not sure that when we get to that place of knowing that that feels uncertain to us, right? I think more likely than not, it feels very sure-footed to us because it's like, aha, I've got this figured out and I'm in a position to help my client. What could be better? So I think it takes a real discipline and a real sense of kind of self-knowing to realize that we've strayed into that place because I think somatically we're less likely to get cues that we've strayed than we would on uh, kind of a different subject. Well, you know, I'm thinking of something that Alexandra Kaye wrote, sent out on to a listserv to Georgetown coaches um, a while back where he described this way in which you can feel kind of you know, get this huge energy burst, almost sort of coked up by knowing. Um, and that what a powerful indicator that was for him that he might not be on the right track yes. is just as you're saying, it, it can feel really, really good to know. And so what is the practice of being in discourse with that and um, being in dialogue with that as it emerges. So, so Mike, just say a little bit about how you think you do that. Um, I think, I think Alex's language is perfect in my case. So I think there is an energy burst of it's, it's a familiar place of, yeah, I've got this figured out and my analytical Mm -hmm. mind feels like, Mm -hmm. yeah, my ship has come in and I'm going to be able to, you know, take this thing (laughs) into dock. And, and look, here's what makes this even harder is the external cues from our clients are likely not going to be there either when we land in that place of knowing because everything else being equal, our clients tend to like when we come up with answers for their dilemmas, right? So we're not going to, we're not going to, probably not going to sense some energetic shifts from them. If at all, they're going to be positive, like, oh, this is great. Let me start writing down because you've got some great advice here for me. Yeah, you've relieved me of all the ambivalence and wondering that I was just in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I think, so I think our noticing, it, it still comes down to noticing. And for me, it does come down to noticing. I think over the 12 years that I've been practicing as a coach, it's just taken um, mm-hmm. getting more and more um, scrutiny on this notion of what is the feeling I'm getting. And, and again, I think Alex's yeah. language is perfect. It is a burst of energy. And if I notice yeah. that yeah. kind of, Tracing yeah. the trail of breadcrumbs back from where is that coming? And if it is from a place of problem solving, trying to let go of that. And, you know, I think the best practice as a coach is to call it out. When we've got yeah. something that we think yeah. is valuable for our clients, that's okay, right? It's not verboten. Yeah. We can say, let me put the exactly. consultant hat on here for a moment uh, because I've actually had some experience on this issue that we're wrestling with and let, yeah. me, let me try it on you. 
I think also just, I, I love what you're saying, and I, I think also just this sense of being able to notice, is the focus really on my thoughts, or is it on the emotional experience of the client, mm. or the people that I'm in dialogue with? Right. Like, that's a, that's a powerful just um, practice as well, is, am I really following my own line of reasoning here, because I want to see this to conclusion, or am I energetically focused in the client space. Yeah. I love you know, that distinction. Think, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, yeah. And, and just as you say, like this is, this is uh, doing it again and again and again and um, doing it not so well and <laughs> then maybe a little bit better and a little bit better and really noticing the progression as well. I think being... Um, Kind of your own, your, your your own best self around noticing. Well, I did that a little bit better this time. Um, that's really I'm I'm proud of me. Good for me that yeah. I did that. Celebrating the baby steps, right? I love it. Like yeah. doing it not yeah. so well and being okay with that because it's forward mo- movement. Yeah. So just one last thing. I know we we're going to turn to our next letter, but I just want to say too, just from my heart to Willing's heart, that Willing says, I feel like this is really embodied in my soul. And I just want to say, Willing, I don't think it is. I really think that this is um, a story and a set of behaviors and that it really is possible to make, to, to really move on this. And just writing this letter is a part of that. You already had the hard conversation with yourself to write this letter and to bring this issue out and make it visible and take it out of shadow. So to me, that's courageous and so brave and um, inspirational to other people. So, so I love that. And I also just want to say there are amazing mindful self-compassion practices um, in, out in our world that I think are very helpful around this about not being a perfectionist, we said celebrating every success and practicing mindfulness even in the moments where we feel ourselves sort of, or especially in those moments when we feel, feel our, ourselves really being all rider and no elephant. <laughs> Kirsten, you are such an amazing best friend. And, and now <laughs> everybody gets to have you as their best friend via the radio. Um, and... And now I get to just talk about the joy of having you as a partner, right? No, no, no. That's um, not Or we're, we're going to do that at the end. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, we're, what we are right. going to do now is shift into our second letter, and I can't Let's wait to dive it. into this. This one is about how to converse with our monsters of judgment, and it's, uh, mm. I think, really rich, and it goes something mm. like this. Mm. Dear Coaching Sugars, I'm a new coach having practiced for less than a year. I recently had a client who, during one of our first sessions, described an emotionally charged, complex situation with her fiancé that was unresolved. Mm. As I was listening, I felt my heart rise in my chest and a little voice in my head say, please don't marry him until you figure this out. Mm. I perceived what she was facing as a significant showstopper for a successful marriage, and my own biases consumed me in that moment. 
she was getting married soon, and I felt an urgency that she should address this issue right away. I lost my presence and curiosity as my judgment monster rattled around in my head, saying, tell her she's going to end up divorced if she doesn't deal with this. I can feel my heart race even now as I write this letter. I also remember thinking, I'm a leadership coach, not a marriage counselor, and that I have no right to give advice in this context. <laughs> Reflecting on what was happening in my head and my body, I can see that I was triggered by my client's experience and I lost my ability to be an effective coach. I'm guessing she sensed what was going on for me and that I was avoiding something. In retrospect, I've been working on noticing what triggers me and learning ways to manage those emotions more effectively when they surface. I'm also curious how I may have shared my concerns more candidly to be both helpful for my client and to be more authentic to what I was seeing. I'm committed to doing this better next time. So my question is in two parts. First, what are effective practices that you have to manage your own triggers? And the second question, when you feel a visceral reaction to a client's situation, what are compassionate ways you work with your own emotions in the moment to benefit the client? In gratitude for your wisdom, taming my judgment monster. Oh. Oh. Don't you just love this letter writer so much? How good is that? Indeed I do. No. <laughs> so... Um, you know, for me, I'm sure for you too, Mike, um, like the spirit of the first letter, I love the sense of vulnerability here and the desire for greater self-knowing and also just to be freaking awesome coaches and leaders. I mean, you feel that so much in these, in both of these letters and in so many of the letters that we've gotten is I have so much respect for our community and the and for um, those of us who are doing this work. So what I heard here first um, is the real, um, the, a kind of quest for self-knowledge that is embedded in this letter and, um, and this real desire to be more clear on as a matter of personal responsibility, how well do I know my triggers? What are they? And since triggers are universal, like we all have them, what's the right way to hold them? And I also love that both of the letters talk about compassionate responses to um, both dilemmas. But I think that... um, I think that this letter is really naming something that is um, critically important, which is since we all have triggers, sort of what's the, what's the best situation we can envision to work with them on? And I think as you and I talked about this letter a little bit, it's almost as if we want to have a map of our accountability, uh, have an accountability map of our triggers so that we can see them and work with them and hold them lightly. And um, in this training that I did long ago at the Center for Courage and Renewal, um, I worked with this amazing man named Parker Palmer, and he would always say, when the going gets tough, you got to turn to wonder. And that's really the place I was in around the dilemma of this letter and also the dilemma of the letter writer. 
So what's really going on for you there, taming your judgment monster? And um, what came up for you in this situation? And how can you hold that as valuable knowledge for yourself in the future? I feel like those are, those are powerful questions for you. And um, just, uh, um, just the second piece is I really heard a tonal difference here in the place uh, in the first part of the letter where Taming says, please don't marry him until you figure this out which feels to me loving and compassion and, and heartfelt. Mm-hmm. And then in the second part of the letter says, Willing says, tell her that she is going to end up divorced if she doesn't deal with this. And there's, that to me has climbed several ladder, rungs on the ladder of inference and judgment. So I think there's a tonal piece to notice there as well, is sort of what, what was triggering and then how was the ladder of inference climbed? That is, that's incredibly insightful. Um, I love that you picked that up, Kirsten, and, and you're right, as you, as you read through this letter or, or kind of pour over this a, a time or two, there is a tonal difference. And uh, I think the implications of that are, are pretty stark. Right. It, so maybe starts out yeah. with compassion, right. and leads to right. a different place when unaddressed, and I yeah. think I think that's a powerful takeaway for all of us. Um, that yeah, it just supports everything you're saying. That work we've got. Yeah. Um, and that's why I love partnering with you so much, Kirsten, because you've got the chops to do that work. Um, and uh, on this one, it's funny. My take was it was different. It was much more pragmatic. Um, mm. Yeah, you know, I went right to the second question. Maybe that's my wheelhouse. Like, well, how do I how do I actually go about sharing this assessment in a compassionate way? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, in in the work that I do at Georgetown on the faculty, I um, this is one of actually maybe it's a bit of a trigger for me. I see so much withholding mm-hmm. of assessments um, to our clients, especially early in the coaching cycle. Um, yeah. And in conversations that I've been around that, there's there's usually a concern that sufficient trust doesn't yet exist. Yeah. Um, and I get that. And um, I think that's more of a, I think that's more about self-permission than it really is that trust doesn't exist. Because if you really think about what a coaching engagement is, there's both explicit permission and implicit permission for a coach to make a whole range of moves. So I think when we withhold what's up for us, um, that's a question of self-permission, and I think that's worth diving into. So if and when I get to the points where I'm feeling something visceral and I withhold it, um, what is really going on with that in the context of this relationship I'm in with this client? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, we're going to take another break. Let's let's keep this thread when we get back from break, Kirsten, okay. and yeah. uh, we'll be back in about two minutes. So join us. All right.
market's up or down. Or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer four cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, the Certificate in Health Coaching, and the Certificate in Facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education and leadership courses for experienced leadership coaches and leaders at all levels. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host. So you are with Mike McGinley and Kirsten Olson, the Coaching Sugars, and Mike was just sharing some of his observations being a longtime Georgetown faculty member about the importance of sharing assessments. Yeah, this is one where I've got a ton of energy. So we're talking about, mm. you know, there's, in a coaching context, it's it's a pretty common phenomenon to not share with our client the strong visceral reactions that we're having. And um, I tend to think that more often than not, that's a mistake to withhold those. And mm. so I just want to dive into that a little bit. And mm. I think, um, so clearly, I have a strong bias for sharing with our clients what's up for us, right? So in a way, you could almost say I'm in the camp of, um, it. for this issue, it doesn't even so much matter what your triggers are. Um, just know that you've been triggered and that you do have a strong assessment and find a way to frame that and share that with your client in a way that's that's going to serve them, right? And so the only caveat for me when I don't share something is when I believe that the client's just not in a place where they can hear it, it's not going to kind of move the ball forward or it's going to be at cross purposes mm-hmm. with the work they're doing. Mm-hmm. But but even then, I put the burden on myself. I think there's almost always a way to frame things in a way that can be heard and with a caring spirit. So yeah. um, I just wanted to get that bias out there. Um, I love that. And, and the other thing I would say, I think, again, the thing where I have a bias is, look, as coaches, we're, we're there to kind of help our clients think differently. And, you know, language we use is breaking the coherence of, of their thinking cycle, or I use the language making the record skip, right? There's, there's nothing we can do that's more useful than making the record skip. Um, and I think what does that 
better than anything else is when we as a coach can share with a leader an assessment that we hold and that assessment flies in the face of their self-identity, that's going to be an attention getter, right? That makes the record skip necessarily. And it doesn't make it right or wrong or good or bad or indifferent. It just makes the record skip. And I think that's what we're there to do. Um, And so I I love assessments for that purpose. And and I'll just share really quickly um, my experience being on the other side of the table um, as an executive receiving coaching. This is a long time ago, but I remember my coach calling me lazy, and that was the exact word, and it's a little bit pejorative, right? And it's it's 180 degrees from how I see myself. Like, I work really yeah. hard, and I'm, you know, I'm always on the move, and, like, lazy is the last word I would have chosen to describe myself. And it worked, right? What it did was yeah. it made the record skip, and it got my attention, and it created an opening for another conversation that was incredibly empowering yeah. uh, for me yeah, and the yeah. decisions that I made coming out of that. So yeah, that's that's my thing on sharing assessments. I think so long as we hold them with yeah. love and care, yeah. Um, yeah. there's just few things we can do that are more helpful. That's beautiful. So, so Mike, I just got to say that I think you have a special gift also for showing up with full open heart to that kind of assessment that is a little bit like, oh, wow, there's a lot of wasabi on that one. Um, <laughs> I think you're, you know, that is one, one of your great gifts is to do that. So, so yeah, I, I once want to pick up on that and say, I think, and, and really, um, Taming really describes that a little bit in this letter, that when we don't make an important offer, when we turn our light down, Taming uh, um, themselves says that they could feel themselves becoming less effective. And it's almost as if the energetic field between coach and client or between leader and colleagues is diminished. There, is a, there are tractor beams coming out of the chest of the coach and, out of the, and those are actually turned away or dimmed down by this not sharing of important assessments Mm. um, that I think you name so beautifully. And I just have an and to add to that, which is I think that taming is also saying, I'm not sure I can trust myself. I don't feel in a good place about this. And so I think that's why having a sense of what are our, you know, what are our two or three um, most hot triggers, and why are they? Why do they? Why do they come up for me? And I think to be able to to do that work and to be able to get get to the place where we really can hold them lightly and with humor, like we can say to ourselves, "Oh yeah, you know the old story generator is really going today inside me around this trigger," or "Yep." Uh, I may think I've got this one solved, but here it is coming up again. And, you know, triggers can, I think, become a bit like, like, you know, relatives that show up at every family reunion and we, we know them and love them and they are a part of us and, um, and they don't have to own us and interfere 
with this work and evolution that we are trying to do. And that's really what I think Taming is saying is Taming wants to be the full-on coach, just like Willing, that they can feel themselves being but are not quite sure how to manage these parts of themselves. And it makes them feel that they don't trust themselves. So that, to me, really is work around why did this particular thing with this client come up for me in this way? What was that about? Yeah, I'm, I'm still stuck on the, this beautiful tagline. Triggers make every day like Thanksgiving. <laughs> Great. That's right. Pass the mashed potatoes, please. Um. <laughs> No, this is profound. Um, and I, you know, you mentioned earlier, Kirsten, um, two to three triggers that you are very familiar yeah. with for yourself. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. if it'd be helpful to hear, hear an example yeah. of, of one of those and yeah. how you've managed that in your evolution yeah. or development as a coach. Yeah. And you're going to share yours too, right? Um, uh, time permitting. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so one of my triggers is a feeling of not being seen and not being known. So this is very much a childhood family of origin issue for me so that I can start to feel myself kind of careening off into um, the outer edge of the galaxy of no one can, people are not seeing me here. I don't feel known. Um, I'm, I'm too unusual for this environment. And I really just have to say, okay, okay, sweetheart, let's just reel yourself back in. Let's take a breath here. Let's pause. You're getting triggered. So you need to pause. You need to take a breath. You need to look around and really assess, is this, is this environment uh, really about what, where you're going here emotionally? And kind of come back to the planet Earth rather than Pluto, where I was just out there um, revolving. Yeah. Beautiful. So, yeah. And how, and how would you self-assess um, how good at that you've become? I would say, you know, I don't want to... Like, um, it, as soon as you say something like this, then... You won't jinx it. The hubris, the hubris <laughs> is immediately... Um, punished by the gods. Um, but I think that um, I can, I have gotten triggered enough in my life that I think I've gotten pretty good at, you know, b- being able to say to myself, okay, okay, baby, just back, back down, take it easy, deep breath. And also to say to myself, you know, you've come a long way on this. You've come a long way. Good That's for you. Important. Um, but I want to pass it back over to you. What do you, what do you do? Well, so it, it's very similar, right? I think, I think just being able to label it like, okay, so I'm beholden to this force that's pretty formidable for me. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, over time, I've gotten pretty good at, at identifying the causality of 
okay, these things happened and they resulted in this emotional state. So I'm very quick yeah. to feel it in my body and I'm very quick to feel it emotionally and I've gotten yeah. quicker to label it. Yeah. And, and yeah. as we know, the, the labeling, it tends to disarm the power of the trigger yeah. a bit, right? Yeah. Like stopping and breathing right. and labeling it, it kind of, uh, it, it brings it down to size where we're not no longer so beholden to it. Um, right. but it's, it's just part of our, our humanity. And so, Beautiful. yeah, yeah. As, as thinking about sharing an example, I'm not sure that it's relevant at this point. So, well, let's, let, we can, we can huddle up with our producers. Uh, okay. Yeah. We're not going to share it. <laughs> Thank you producers for that yeah. rapid, um, that rapid work. Um, so just, just to circle back on that and thank you for, thank you for sharing that, um, Mike, is, you know, uh, taming has some really specific sort of questions about how to, how to manage triggers. And I guess I have a little bit of a sense of it's, it's not so much that we manage them, just as you were saying, but that we become aware of them and that we are able to pause and hold them more lightly. And as we all know, um, triggers are physiological. They happen in our body and they happen just in milliseconds. It's not like we have a choice about them. Something happens somatically. So to me, the place is, do, is there awareness somatically of getting triggered, taming? How is that for you? Is that a place of growth for you? Is what signals are, is your body giving you when you are starting to get triggered? And then very explicitly saying, even in a session with a client, let's pause here for a moment. Mm -hmm. Just let's just take a pause and just letting a moment of silence settle in. Take a breath. And then to refocus on the client, because to me, again, that is the really compelling piece is to, to, be back with the client and the emotional space of the client, um, I think it moves us out a bit out of our own triggered reaction. Is we have to get clear and then move back into our work. And I also think that when we mess up, like holding this lightly with clients, like, oops, I think I got a little ahead of myself here. Or I may be climbing the ladder of inference here. So excuse me if I am. And just being able to call that out and name it, I think, brings it out of shadow and makes it less forceful. I love that so much, Kirsten. And on the surface, what you're describing, like, let me take time in, in the coaching dance with the leader. Let me take time to do what I need because I've noticed I've gotten triggered. On the surface, we could see that as incredibly bold. And, and in one yeah. way, it is incredibly bold. And I would maintain that when, when we're coaching, right, when we're being the best versions of ourselves as coach, yeah. it's yeah. not necessarily bold. It's just natural. It's so right. well, what, else, what else would I do? I'm here in this kind of organic um, dance with another person, and this is what I need for myself. And there's no posturing necessary. There's no, like, not showing behind the curtain that's necessary. Yeah. And I nice. really love that. As we, um, we've got a, about another minute, I want to, I, I feel compelled to get this out there. I can't 
we can, we've gotten into this conversation about triggers, and it always takes me yeah. to the Viktor Frankl quote: "Yeah, between yeah. stimulus and response, there's a space, mm. and mm. in that space is our power to choose our response. Mm. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Mm. Yeah, our yeah. growth and our freedom, yeah. and that's what you've been saying, right? So, doing yeah. this work, we're talking about the growth, but there's actually something about being human." Just realizing that we're in that space, even if we feel like we're struggling, there's something humanizing about being in that space. And that's our work, and that's our bounty, and I love that. Me too. So I just want to say to both willing and taming, like, what what a brave and beautiful showing up in these letters. Yes. So having the hard conversations with self to bring these issues into the light, and I think they're in many ways already losing their grip because of that act. So I just so applaud that, and I think that to me, just to try to wrap this up, is really, I hope, a part of what this um, podcast series is maybe able to do too, is to, um, to, to bring what are universal dilemmas into the light so that we all get better at trying to be awesome. Bravo. Um, We so appreciate you listening. We hope you've loved the shows. Yes. Yes. And I think Mike and I just want to both say a special thanks to Kate Ebner, who has been our supporter and champion in bringing this series to the air. Yes. Thank you, Kate. And um, Mike, most amazing partner. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, most amazing partner. See you next time. (laughs) See you next time. Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week.